You've heard me talk about my preferred fish oil brand, Vital Nutrients, offering a line of 11 ultra-pure omega-3 solutions, including an innovative, high-performance vegan omega option. But Vital Nutrients innovations don't end there. They've also developed BCQ, a powerful herbal and proteolytic formula that supports a healthy inflammatory response. The nutrients in this distinctive formula also support gastrointestinal function and help maintain healthy connective tissue. BCQ combines boswellia and curcumin with quercetin, a potent flavonoid, and bromelain, a proteolytic enzyme for a healthy inflammatory response in joints, sinus, and the digestive tract. For more information and to order, go to vitalnutrients.co. That's vitalnutrients.co. Vital Nutrients has been known for nearly 30 years for their clean and innovative formulations, utilizing peer-reviewed research, bioavailable, and bioactive ingredients in therapeutic doses. I take them and use them in my practice. Just go to vitalnutrients.co and check them out. Welcome to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. Today, we're going to talk to the author of the sensational new book. Uh, it's really generating quite a buzz, and she's being interviewed all over the place. So we appreciate uh, her generosity in scheduling us in uh, to preview uh, her latest book. We've talked to uh, this author in the past uh, about a book that uncovers malfeasance uh, and concealment by Monsanto, makers of Roundup and glyphosate. And she's come up with a sequel to her previous book. It's entitled The Monsanto Papers, Deadly Secrets, Corporate Corruption, and One Man's Search for Justice. And it really, it kind of reads like a, a mystery novel because it uh, traces uh, the story of an individual. Uh, and we're going to talk about him uh, in just a moment, uh, who relentlessly uh, pursued justice uh, with um, lots and lots of pushback, lots and lots of uh, obstruction and concealment and denial from America's one of America's corporate giants. Uh, Monsanto, uh, recently purchased by Bayer, uh, one of the world's biggest pharmaceutical firms. Uh, well, uh, Bayer, the makers of aspirin, inherited a big headache uh, when they paid $63 billion for Monsanto, the makers of glyphosate and Roundup. And we're going to talk a little bit about that saga with uh, today's guest, Carrie Gillum. Carrie uh, has spent over 25 years reporting on corporate America. Uh, she's worked for Reuters. Her first book, uh, we interviewed her about a couple of years ago. Whitewash, the story of a weed killer cancer and the corruption of science. It won the 2018 Rachel Carson Book Award. For those of you who don't know who Rachel Carson is, you don't recall. She wrote the groundbreaking book, Silent Spring, which uh, launched an environmental revolution. Uh, she's currently research director for the nonprofit U.S. Right to Know. So, uh, Carrie, congratulations on the book. It's really a fascinating read, and it, it kind of pulls the curtain back on uh, what has been reported on in uh, a superficial way. Uh, you kind of add a, a human dimension to the story. 
Yeah, yeah. Thank you for having me here today, and thank you for for the kind words on the book. I'm happy it's being received as it is, because that was my intention to really get away. My first book was very heavy on the science and very academic, I suppose, to a degree. And this one, I really wanted to be a personal story. I wanted people to feel it um, as much as, you know, learn it, I suppose. And, uh, you know, I, I shed some tears in writing this book, and I've heard people shed some tears as they read it, too. Well, okay, so it, it starts with the story of uh, a protagonist, uh, a landscaper, uh, school maintenance guy named Lee Johnson. Tell us about Lee and what what happened to Lee. Sure. So, I mean, Lee was just kind of your average guy, you know, middle-aged in his 40s, a husband and father, two little boys. And uh, he had worked his way kind of up the ladder to a really good job as a school groundskeeper for the Benicia School District in in California. And, you know, was making a decent living and feeling pretty good about what he was doing with his family. He'd had a hard life growing up and uh, times had been hard. He didn't have his own father around when he was growing up and wanted to provide, you know, better for his own two boys. And part of his work involves spraying uh, Roundup weed killer or different versions of Roundup weed killer glyphosate um, that Monsanto sold and marketed as really, really safe. And he sprayed a lot of it in his job. And so the story takes you sort of, you know, uh, to one day where he, he has an accident, a really just ridiculously awful accident in which this tank sprayer kind of comes undone and there's a giant fountain of the chemical spraying everywhere and he dives in there to try to shut it down and becomes just completely doused in this in this weed killer and then what happens to him you know and how he develops then non-hodgkin lymphoma and tumorous lesions all over his body Mm -hmm. and how he's told he's got 18 months left to live what the first uh thing that had to be done was to uh to create an association between his exposure to the, the Roundup, which uh, the company vociferously denied had anything to do with cancer, and has for so many years, uh, to the bizarre types of skin lesions he developed after exposure. I mean, he knew in his heart of hearts uh, that the stuff was potentially dangerous, so he exercised precautions when he was spraying. But then he had this accident. He was virtually bathing in the stuff uh, and then developed all kinds of Weird skin problems, initially diagnosed as squamous cell cancer, but all over his body simultaneously in close proximity to his exposure. What's up with that? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it it, it did. It, you know, it started as a lesion on his leg and then it grew and then it spread and, you know, it's on his face and head, scalp, you know, all up and down the torso, the legs, the feet. It it just enveloped his entire body and uh, just caused him great pain and, and agony. And, of course, you know, once he learned that it was terminal and that he wasn't going to be around to father his boys, it was just a you know a very dark time for him. And so you follow him, and then he meets these lawyers that want to sue Monsanto and think that they can prove a connection between the weed killer and his cancer. And then uh, that's where the book <laughs> takes off, I suppose. Easier said than done, because uh, Monsanto uh, really pulled up the drawbridges and uh, armored up in relationship to this uh, lawsuit. And by the way, there were other lawsuits uh, at the uh, 
concurrently uh, related to the risk of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. You know, many cases uh, in people who were exposed to it, but he was just one of the more egregious cases, right? Yeah, I mean, he moved to the front of the line and actually became the first person to take Monsanto to trial uh, in the world over these allegations. And his case became, you know, the subject of media scrutiny around the world and, uh, you know, very closely watched. But he he became that person precisely because his uh, doctors said that he was expected to die so soon. And his lawyers wanted to work as hard as they could to get him a day in court. Um, before he passed. And, and so, so he, you know, was sort of thrust into that position of being the first to challenge Monsanto on this, on this question. Well, your cup in formulating a legal strategy, uh, they had to a demonstrate that it was plausible that uh, this stuff could cause cancer, but they could all, they also uh, had to demonstrate that Monsanto did so with a certain malice aforethought. And with concealment, uh, you know, just it, it's modeled after the tobacco industry litigation because, you know, for years, same thing happened. They said, well, you know, there's no proof that, that cigarettes cause cancer. Uh, and then when it was real, not only that there was a definite connection, but that there had been uh, concealment of the risks. The, the company knew the company, you know, this is all brought out in the, the Russell Crowe movie, The Informer. Uh, about uh, the degree of uh, concealment that that had occurred and that the company had done research that pointed in the direction of a cancer connection, uh, and yet they suppressed it. Yeah, I mean, that was what what moved the jury um, to award Lee Johnson $250 million in punitive damages because not only did his lawyers prove to the degree required under California law that there was a causation between his exposure to this chemical and his cancer. And, and they went through, I mean, this was a six-week trial. You know, they went through years and years of published peer-reviewed scientific studies, epidemiology and toxicology and other studies showing links between this type of cancer and, uh, and this chemical. And, and then they talked about his specific exposure. And then they laid out for the jurors all of these internal Monsanto documents that showed how the company had, as you said, been engaging in deceptive tactics to really hide or obfuscate um, or manipulate the scientific record um, to hide the risks of cancer that were associated with this this weed killer. And, and some of the, the efforts were kind of public relations efforts, uh, damage control or crisis management, uh, where they tried to controversialize uh, scientists and organizations that were pointing to this connection. Yeah, there were. I mean, they had many sort of uh, you know tentacles to the octopus of, yeah. <laughs> that was trying to to uh, obscure the truth and keep it hidden. But uh, you know, one of them was was ghostwriting scientific papers, manipulating the scientific record. One was influencing uh, regulators and sort of colluding with regulators. Um, and and another was this sort of under the table backroom uh, public relations uh, effort where the company wanted just a full force, you know, out there um, smearing scientists and, and journalists like myself and anybody who was pointing to evidence of harm, while at the same time putting out propaganda about how safe it was. But they didn't want any of that to look like it came from them. 
So they had to employ third parties and spread a lot of money around and fund different front groups. And, uh, you know, they had a program called Let Nothing Go that they poured millions of dollars in to to engage in these sort of deceptive tactics. And the ghostwriting is particularly insidious because another uh, another word for it is, uh, you know, pay to play, basically, where they actually get uh, scientists uh, to sign off on, you know, in effect, corporate propaganda. Uh, you know, and they said, well, we'll give you the, we'll give you the, the language. It's going to be easy. We'll write the paper for you. And you, all you have to do is you can review it. You can, you know, change, you know, dot an I across a T, but you'll have a publication in a, in a respectable journal. We'll, we'll do the, we'll do a little heavy lifting for you. Well, and I mean, that was exactly how they described it in discussions amongst themselves in their internal documents that they would find third party scientists that they could pay to edit and sign their names but the the bulk of the work would be done by the Monsanto scientists is the way they described it. Now, in court, you know, they describe it as something entirely different. Um, they say that they were merely sort of providing background information uh, about their company and about their products and that mm-hmm. the, these third-party scientists were actually the ones doing the work. But internally, that's not the way they talked about it at all. Well, also concerning were the uh, backdoor relationships between Monsanto uh, and regulators. And we know that there's a revolving door. You know, the key to success in the business is to uh, work as a government regulator for a while. Uh, You know, make a modest salary, but government uh, officials, um, you know, don't make a killing uh, and then uh, retire and then work on behalf of uh, a a major pharmaceutical company or chemical company uh, and uh, work to kind of schmooze the regulators that you left behind. Well, exactly. And, you know, the EPA, certainly there are many examples uh, with the EPA of the revolving door, as well as many other, you know, of our regulatory agencies, but paid lobbyists, uh, people who have worked for these corporations it's very common for them to then get a position in the regulatory agency where they are supposed to be overseeing or regulating products, um, you know, that their prior employer or the company that they were lobbying for, you know, relies on or generates profits from. And then you see it go the other way. So people working in the regulatory um, positions then get very high paid when they leave. If they are friends of industry, they can often get very high paid uh, lucrative positions in consulting roles or in these companies. And there was an example of this, you know, in this Monsanto situation where a guy working for the EPA that Monsanto said, well, he's a friend of ours and he can sure help us with our defense of glyphosate. He was running the cancer review of this mm. chemical at the EPA and he then left and uh, went and got some work for, you know, consulting for the industry. And EPA has been kind of disappointing. Uh, you know, I remember during the uh, Trump administration, uh, they came out with uh, uh, a ruling that they did not think that glyphosate was implicated in cancer, something to that effect. Yeah, I mean, they definitely did. Their their carcinogenicity report came out and, and found uh, no ties to cancer, no risk associated uh, with cancer. They held a 
EPA scientific advisory panel meeting in Washington, D.C. and had leading scientists from around the world come in and advise them. And they were told definitively that they were not analyzing the science properly with respect to this issue. And uh, they sort of said, thank you, but (laughs) we're going to stick to our guns. Um, you know, and, and you, there are memos from, you know, the Trump administration where the Trump administration is saying, don't worry, we've got your back on glyphosate. You don't have to worry about us, you know, regulating this. Um, and, so, and, that's, yeah. and that's the nice thing about a, a jury trial, because there is this thing called discovery, uh, which uh, cracks open a lot of vaults and brings to light a lot of things that uh, had been here before concealed because, you know, it's, it has to be uh, divulged. And that and that's, I think, part of the I mean, there are two elements of the trial. One was to give this guy his due because, you know, he's dying. Uh, he's uh, incapacitated. He has to provide for his family and he's needs something for pain and suffering. So he got what, like 13 point some million dollars in, a, in, in the award, uh, the initial award. But then there was this thing, and, you know, and a company like like Monsanto can say, and, you know, that's just like a speeding ticket, you know, I'll, you know, that's like, uh, you know, 150 bucks, I'll pay that, you know, and uh, I'll keep driving at, you know, 70 on the expressway. Um, but then there was this punitive damage, because the whole idea was uh, to uh, change the behavior of companies like Monsanto and other companies that uh, play it fast and loose with the health of Americans. Yeah, exactly. I mean, as I said earlier, they, the jury awarded unanimously, um, found that Monsanto's uh, chemical did cause cancer uh, in Lee Johnson and that the company was, was liable and they awarded $250 million in punitive. The total verdict was $289. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, the, the appellate judges right. in California. Yeah, because that's not the end of the story. I mean, I, I, right. I, I, I hailed that as a triumph, but then, you know the plot thickens, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, the, well, lots of, there are lots of plot twists to it all, but this oddity, I suppose, or maybe it's not odd, which is a sad um, provision in California law says if you're going to die, you know, pretty quickly, if you're terminal, you are not entitled to, you (laughs) should not be receiving What's uh, What's your life worth, right? Yeah. Large awards. Well, exactly, because you're not going to suffer for a long period of time. You're not going to have ongoing medical bills. Um, so if you're going to die quickly, you are due less money than if you're going to suffer for a long period of time. And mm. because Lee was considered terminal, the appeals courts did trim his award very sig- significantly. Then there was also, uh, it seems like a judge's intervention who said, oh, $250 million, that, that's crazy. You know, we, we, gotta, we have to moderate that uh, judgment. And, they, and the judge uh, cut the punitive damages substantially initially, right? Yeah. I mean, it's all sort of a, a function of, it's a, it's a math question, you know, and so what are his, uh, what can you give him? And then what is the percentage, uh, you know, 10 times, one time, five times, uh, they want to keep the punitive damages within a certain ratio to the compensatory. So he ended up ultimately uh, with a final judgment of 20.5 million. So a little, you know, less than 10%. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, now there's all kinds of lawsuits against Bayer, the now owner of Monsanto. And uh, lately, 
they're trying to they're trying to kind of cop out of this. They're saying, let's put aside a fund uh, because it's you know it's kind of like uh, the uh, tobacco litigation uh, or the asbestos litigation uh, or the nine eleven fund. Let's just put to, put a big pot of money out there, and y'all can come and get it. You know, uh, all the hundreds and perhaps thousands of claimants can divvy it up. And so I've got a headline here. Bayer's, this is from recent, is from March 10th, which is yesterday. Bayer's class action settlement plan draws widespread outrage opposition. So t- what's up with that? Oh, my goodness. Well, that's pretty complicated stuff. So there, there are two settlement buckets we have to talk about. The first one is the larger one, which is about $11 billion. And that's what Bayer, which bought Monsanto in 2018, Bayer put that $11 billion out to settle current lawsuits and plaintiffs who already have lawyers and have already brought claims. And that's like 100,000 people in the U.S. So that's a big bucket. And that is getting underway and it's kind of going all right. The second plan that Bayer is trying to put out is what are the, you know, what do we do about all these people who are going to sue us in the future, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who are you been using? Because it Roundup. takes a long time to develop non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. It may take well, decades. Sure. Yeah. So, so what do we do about them? So, they have been trying. They put together a plan last summer. The judge said, absolutely not. That is not fair. They came back with a new plan, and this one, the the trial attorneys association around the United States, all of these 93 law firms, over 160 lawyers have all filed objections uh, to it. And they say it's just the most outrageous thing they've ever seen. And that if Bayer is allowed to put this in place, and we can talk about the details if you'd like, but um, they're saying if Bayer is allowed to put this in place, it will be a very dangerous precedent for, for people in all types of litigation it's also kind of a take it or leave it proposal because they say uh if they do not actively opt out of the class within 150 days uh the plaintiff it sounds like the plaintiff will be out of luck it will strip those people of the right to seek punitive damages if they file a lawsuit uh you know outside this uh settlement Yeah, if you are you uh, using Roundup or you're a farm worker, an agricultural worker, and maybe you have cancer, but you haven't gotten a lawyer, you haven't sued, or maybe you even haven't gotten cancer yet, but you're going to get it next year, you have 150 days, if this plan goes into effect, to opt out of the class. If you don't notify them and say, I opt out, then you're automatically in it. And you're in that class, oh, okay. and that means you are stripped of your rights to ever sue for punitive damages. You, you know, and and the class, a lot of the money goes to the lawyers that yep. have essentially partnered with Bear yeah. to put this together, with very tiny awwards dedicated to actually the people who would have the cancer. And yeah, yeah, that's the problem I have with a lot of these things. It's it's really a bonanza for the lawyers who can uh, garner fees of, of literally hundreds of millions of dollars. And then when there are a lot of plaintiffs in a class action, you know, it sounds like a lot of money. But, you know, it might end up that uh, people receive a few tens of thousands of dollars of compensation uh, for a, uh, you know, a life-shortening disease. Uh, that doesn't really sound fair. Yeah. And, you know, this is something I've heard from so many plaintiffs. I've written about this as well. You know, even with the first settlement, the $11 billion, you know, there's 100,000 people or more. These are families, people who have lost spouses or 
or they're expected to die. Several of them have died waiting, you know, for their trial or waiting for this um, settlement payout. And once you take away attorney's fees and taxes and reimbursement of Medicare, um, you know, insurance mm-hmm. that have paid, and you divvy it all up, it, I mean, there's so many people who are just going to walk away with maybe $50,000, $20,000, $100,000. And, you know, maybe that sounds a lot, but if you're someone like the woman I spoke to yesterday who they lost, you know, her husband couldn't work, they lost their home, um, they're, they've used up all their savings, you know, they've plugged into their retirement. How are, what are they going to do? And he's still not even sure he's going to survive. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, not to mention you know, the loss of, uh, of an income uh, earner, you know, someone who has a, a productive uh, career ahead of them uh, to, you know, to save some monies for, for retirement, for, you know, for themselves, for their family, their spouses, their families, to send their children to school and so on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a big part of it. This is a devastating disease, as there are many types of cancer, obviously devastating to families, to their livelihoods. You know, even if if it's survivable, um, it's 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 a hard road, uh, cancer and cancer treatments. And and it's so widespread now. You know, it's not just this type of non-Hodgkin lymphoma cancer. I mean, we are exposed to so many toxins and contaminants and cancer is you know hitting 40 percent of people in the U.S. are expected to get cancer in their lifetimes now. And it's, you know, it's a big deal. So, and I do like to point out this, this book, this is one man, one company, one chemical, but it's a cautionary tale, I hope, about this larger experience mm-hmm. and the larger poisoning of our planet from so many environmental contaminants Indeed. that we're facing. Okay. So the book is the Monsanto Papers, Deadly Secrets, Corporate Corruption, and One Man's Search for Justice. And it's a really, uh, entertaining read uh, about a subject that uh, is very relevant to us all. Uh, Carrie Gillum, the author, she's an investigative journalist. uh, And in part two, I want to go a little bit beyond cancer because when we're talking about glyphosate and products like Roundup, uh, that may be the tip of the iceberg of the devastation that they can cause. And you're an expert on that subject. We'll uh, examine that in just a moment. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast. 